0: amen to this i hold my hope is only jesus all the glory evermore to him what what a great refrain to sing this morning an anthem for us as we come into worship together That he is our only hope may he get the glory and that's what we pray this morning as we open his word if you have a bible with you just invite you to turn first peter chapter 2 uh, it's been such a good weekend to get to be with our student ministry, and I'm so excited for us as a church family now to get to dive into God's Word together, and I just encourage you during this season as we're walking through First Peter to, to really dive into God's Word personally. We have a great reading plan that's so much more than First Peter. It's going to help you walk through Old Testament and New Testament, but it's going to keep bringing us back to these passages, these truths, and there's nothing better that you could give time to this week, to God's word, uh, to seek him, to grow in him. So if you would just read with me in First Peter chapter 2, uh, we have starting in verse 4 this morning. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone that's chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, or chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is the word of the Lord. I'm so excited for us to dive into this passage. There's so much here. And as you've been reading through this text, if you spent some time studying it, you know that there's so much Old Testament language that's here. So like living stones and what's all that about. We're going to get into that and kind of break that down this morning. Uh, but the best way I know to, to kind of set it up is... Uh, through, through this thing that's really important to my family that my kids love and that's called Legos. Any, anybody in here like Legos? Any kids in the room this morning? Kids in the room? How many of you guys love Legos? Anybody? Okay, I see some hands. Now we're so glad you're here, kids in the gathering. So my family, we love Legos. We love getting to build Legos. But, but as a parent, there there's several things I've learned about Legos but three kind of truths uh, that, that shape the way I look at Legos. The first one is this whenever I build Legos something always goes wrong okay any other parents feel this in the room like there's a piece missing or you put the piece in the wrong place or can't find whatever that's there. It's like something always goes wrong like Legos are cool but they are a work of frustration uh, a second reality that, that I've come to believe about Legos is that the Lego is one of the most painful objects known to humanity kinda of get an amen from any of the parents in the room Like, I'm convinced that there's a bad guy somewhere on the planet who's, like, trying to get information from somebody good, and they're like, we're going to throw you in the pit of Legos if you don't give us information. Like, no, anything but that. Like, I'm sure that happens because, as you know, like, you step on a Lego, it's, like, the worst experience of your life. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but they are so painful. It's like it was a torture device before it became a child's toy. I'm convinced of that. But the the third reality about Legos, the third truth that I've come to realize is that a Lego by itself isn't very impressive. But when you start putting all those Legos together, you can make something that's really, really cool. And as we come into this passage this morning, I hope kind of the illustration doesn't get lost on you. You and I alone aren't very impressive. We're not very significant. I'm sorry if I'm offending you this morning. Like I, I'm, I'm throwing myself in. We're, we're just not. We're, we're broken people. We're confused people. We're distracted people. We say we love you God and sing these songs and we go home and, and yell at our kids or we get short with our spouse. We know our work is our mission field but we don't really want to go back to work tomorrow. And our hearts waver. They're all over the place. On our own we're We're kind of insignificant, but what God is doing when God is bringing not just individuals, but a people together, he is building something incredible through his church and through his people that is so much more than you are, so much more than me. And Peter's, he's writing to these believers who are on the fringes, on the margins, who are struggling. They're like aliens and foreigners in their society because they're trying to follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't understand God and doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. He uses this example of living stones, living blocks as a picture to say that God is doing something with you that is beyond your imagination not for your glory, but for His." And that leads us to our big truth that we see in this passage this morning, which is this. Jesus' followers are living stones. Jesus' followers are living stones. Uh, Look with me again, verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is saying to the church this morning, to you and to me, we are living stones. We are building blocks of God that are alive, that are being built up according to God's perfect plan and God's perfect purpose. So what does it mean to be a living stone? What is true about you? What is true about me? Why is Peter using that imagery? Why is he using that example for us this morning? So what I want to do is I just want to kind of unpack four big ideas from this text that just shine a, a little light on the beauty of what it means to be a living stone. And if you're here this morning and you're a Jesus follower, these things are true of you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Jesus follower, and you're just kind of listening in. You're not sure whether or not you believe these things. Maybe you don't, but you're just here with a family member or friend. We're glad that you're here and pray that this morning you get a glimpse into what God is doing and what God is inviting you into through Jesus Christ. So, what does it mean to be a living stone? First big idea is this living stones, like Jesus, are rejected by man, yet chosen and precious to God. Can I get an amen? That's good news this morning. Living stones, like Jesus, are rejected by men. Like, that's bad news. We don't like to hear that. Here's the good news. Yet chosen and precious to God. Look again with me in verse 4 and 5. Verse 4, as you come to Him. So coming out of last week, we were talking about loving the Word and being a people of the Word and delighting in the Word. So I don't want you to miss this implication Peter is assuming that if we are going to be like children who long for the Word, that our response to longing for the Word will be to come to Jesus. Let me say it another way being in the Word always leads you to Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you must be in the Word. If you are not in the Word, you will not have a longing for Jesus. They go together. His expectation is that we would be a people who, verse 4, as you come to him. So who is the him? Him is the Lord. Who is the Lord? He's talking about Yahweh, but specifically Jesus Christ, as we will see as we walk through this passage. So then he begins to describe Jesus, and look at the way he describes Jesus. Him, a living stone, talking about Jesus, rejected by men, and we know that to be the story. We just read through the Gospel of Mark Matthew last year we, we saw the story of Jesus' life, that he was constantly rejected by people, the religious leaders, the Roman Empire, that he was, uh, he was an offense to those who saw him and heard his teaching. He was rejected by men. But in the sight of God, Jesus was chosen and precious. And this is a promise that we're going to read about in a few minutes that was prophesied about this person, this living stone, that he would be precious. But look what it says in verse 5. You yourselves like living stones. Well, what's Peter doing? He's making a comparison. He's comparing us, God's people, to Jesus. He's saying that these realities that were true of Jesus are true for those who are in Jesus Christ that these realities that are true of Jesus the Son are true of sons and daughters of God. So he's saying that these things are not only true about Jesus, but they are true about those who are in Jesus. So what is true about you? What is true about me? It means that we, if we follow Jesus, will be rejected by men. We will be rejected by others. But in God's sight, precious, chosen. See, Jesus was rejected, and yet, and this is so important, this was God's plan. It was God's plan that his son would be rejected. What does that mean for us? If you experience rejection because of your faith, that is God's plan for your life. It's not by accident, it's intentional, it's a part of God's design. What is valued by God, this is so important, what is valued by God is often deemed insignificant and despised by men. So here's the bad news. If you follow Jesus, you will be rejected by others because your life will be lived in opposition to them. What does that mean? Your values, your priorities... Your treasure will be opposite and in opposition to people in this world. And you might say, well, Paul, I don't feel like that happens a lot right now. Well, maybe that means that you're not pursuing Jesus as your treasure fully. But if we do, we will be in conflict with others. Others will be in conflict with us. Why? Because we live in a culture and we live in a world that is offended by God. And God's ways are offensive to us naturally. This is why people walk away from the faith and don't like what God is building. And we live in a culture where if you stand for Jesus and you build your life and you build your marriage and you build your hope on Jesus, you will be rejected by men. You will be rejected by others. We live in a culture where the gospel of this world is acceptance and affirmation And if you love and follow Jesus and you stand on his word, you cannot accept what the world accepts. You will be deemed unaffirming, unkind, unloving to those around you when you stand for what God stands for. And we see this all around us. It's happening now, this cancel culture we live in, that you will be canceled, you'll be marginalized, you'll be pushed to the side. And honestly, we hate that. We want people to think we're loving. We want people to like us. We want to feel affirmed by people. But when you look at a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling in their marriage and their spouse just isn't great and they would rather just kind of get out of it and you say, No, stay in your marriage. This is God's will for your life. You'll be deemed unloving or uncaring. when you choose to discipline and disciple your kids and make God the priority and not their education or not their sports or not all the other things those things aren't wrong or bad in and of themselves but you center your family and your life around God you're gonna be looked down on by other people at your workplace to value sharing the gospel when people don't want to hear it and in your education or at your school to value sharing the gospel when people don't want it you're gonna be deemed unloving ...or unkind. For some of you, you're going to have friends who are of a different sexual orientation than you. And to say, I love you, but I follow Jesus Christ, will be deemed unloving and uncaring. To follow Jesus means we're going to experience rejection by the world, but also by others, even sometimes within the church. But here's the good news. So is Jesus. Jesus was rejected by the religious elite. Jesus was rejected by the world. This is part of God's plan, and Peter's writing this message to us. Jesus said this in John sixteen thirty three: In the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. It's coming for you. It's coming for me. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Later on in 1 Peter 4, Peter will say this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in far as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad in the glory that's being revealed. So just a couple thoughts of application for us this morning and then I'll move on. First one is this, is Jesus worth the cost of rejection to you—is he worth the cost of rejection to me? Is he more precious to us than the approval and affirmation of our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, our boyfriend, our girlfriend? The second thought—that's just been on my heart. I've been doing my own devotion and quiet time through First Peter, and this just stood out to me. I was writing it in my journal. What is rejected by man, this text says, is precious to God. And so I think this is a warning to us. We should be suspect of the way we think and the way we pursue God. That oftentimes we are blind to the truth. We are prone to self-deception. We are prone to wander. So a lot of times your first reaction and my first reaction to the things happening around us is not necessarily from God. It can be from us because we are prone to do what other people do, to despise what God despised, to reject that. We need to be aware of that. But a third, and I just pray this would be an encouragement to you this morning. I want to remind you, this text says this morning that living stones are chosen and precious to God. If you are in Christ, you are chosen and precious to God. So take heart. Whatever you're walking through today, whatever he has going on in your life, it has a purpose. Take joy in the reality that he has called you, that he is working in you. That is good news for us this morning. Some of you are going through some really difficult things this morning and you might question the love of God for you. If you're in Christ, you're chosen and precious to God. Which allows us to walk into the rejection of men, which leads to a second big idea this morning, which is this. Living stones are also being built up and built together. They're being built up and built together. Again, look with me in verse 5. It says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. What does that mean? Two things really quickly. The first thing is this, that it is God's work to build his people up into maturity in Jesus Christ. That's good news. God wants to make you like Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. God is more committed to us becoming like Christ than we are. That is good news. God's work is in us to build us up, to grow us in maturity. A lot of times I think we think about the spiritual life like Jesus saves us, then he kind of kicks us out of the nest like baby birds. Go learn how to fly, go learn how to be faithful, go learn how to follow God. No, that's not the way it works. God is the one doing the work in us. And we have a responsibility. We are called to obedience, faith, repentance. We, we have a part to play in that work, but it is his work. I was thinking about that this week. We were making Brenner one night. It's one of my family's favorite meals. You know, some waffles and bacon and eggs. And uh, Trip loves to help me make Brenner. He loves to, like, mix the eggs for me. And at the end of the day, like, he helped make that meal, but he didn't make the meal. Like, I made the meal. He was a great helper, but I think that's our... Christian life like we have a part to play but the one who's doing the work ultimately is God that's good news God is at work to build you up to grow you into maturity through the image of Christ but here's the second part of that that's so important God is not building you up individually as living stones God wants to build us up together let me say it another way God's building work is a collective work Meaning, you cannot become who God has called you to be in Christ Jesus alone. Look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right. I'm creating an awkward moment for everybody, sorry. You need one another. We need one another. We are called to not just be what God is building. We are called to be built up together. Can you imagine if we got home today, I know a lot of you guys are Tennessee Uh, Football fans and like this announcement came out from the University of Tennessee like we have this new game plan for the 2022 fall season. Here's what it is. We've recruited the top quarterback in the country above everybody else. He is amazing and we have decided that he will be our football team in the fall. One guy taking on 11. It's gonna be amazing. Buy your season tickets today. You'd say, that's ridiculous, there's no way, it doesn't matter how good that player is, that he is going to take on 11 guys. Friends, I don't care how mature of a Christian you think you are, if you think you're going to be able to run the race on your own, the scripture says you're a fool. I am a fool if I think I can follow Jesus on my own or with a few affirming friends by my side. We need the body. We are called to be built up together. God is doing this work in us. And spiritual growth happens in the context of God's people, the church. We need community. Can I remind us of what Jesus says? In one of our favorite passages as a church, John fifteen five. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the what? Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say you are the branch, individual. What does he say? You are the branches, plural. You are all connected to me, and you are all connected to one another. If you are going to bear fruit, it's going to be because of him, but it's going to be because you're connected not only to him, but to one another. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 4 and he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints. This is important for the work of ministry. So leaders in the local church are not the ones who do the work of ministry. They equip the saints to do what? For the work of ministry. That you are called to do the work of ministry alongside of one another. For the building up of the body of Christ. That's not Pastor Paul's job or Pastor Mike's job or Pastor Daniel's job solely. That is your job to build up the body of Christ. There's no amens there. It's your job. Not just my job. That's your job. That's our job until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. God is doing the work of making you like Jesus. Take heart and rejoice. Lean into that. But secondly, understand that God wants to make you like Jesus through others. And not only that, brothers and sisters... God wants to help others in this room become more like Jesus through you. When you and I deprive ourselves of community, we are not just depriving ourselves of something, we are depriving one another of the opportunity to grow. So, who are you discipling? Who are you invested in? Who is invested in you? We need one another. This church is so much more than a service. It is a pursuit. That's why the communities we've been talking about are so important. It creates not the place where that happens. It creates a place where we can begin to pursue one another. The good news is that living stones not only are chosen and precious by God, but God is building them up through one another. But there's a third incredible reality that I want us to to look at for a moment. The third big idea is this. Living stones are both the temple and priest in the new covenant. Living stones are both temple and priest in the new covenant. I know this is kind of a little bit of strange language for us. We don't think about this because it comes from the Old Testament. But I want to encourage you to lean in. I want to encourage you to go back on your own to, to do some reading and studying of God's word. Look at verse 5 again. It says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into what? As a spiritual house, a house of the Holy Spirit. Why? To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So to really understand what Peter's talking about, we have to go to the Old Testament, specifically Exodus 19. So I just want to take us there, and I want to read to you what Peter is talking about, because he's pulling from the story of God's people leaving Egypt and heading toward the promised land. This is Exodus 19, uh, starting in verse 3. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you will say to the house of Jacob, and tell to the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... There's our covenant language. A covenant is a promise. Listen to this. You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples... for all the earth is mine. Verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God gives Moses and the children of Israel this promise that one day this kingdom of priests are going to come out of God's people. Then in verse 16 it says, on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet bass. So all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Can you imagine what that would have been like? The smoke of it went up like the smoke of Kiln, and the whole mountain shook and trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Just imagine that moment. Holy God coming down in front of his people. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and many of them perish. So there's two really important things happening here. One's God's promise that he is setting apart a people to become a kingdom of priests. But the bad news of the story is God's people don't faithfully follow him. So they're never able to live that out. A second thing that's happening is God's people, they can only come to the foot of the mountain. They can't go up to the mountain where God is because if they do, they will be killed that a human being cannot stand in the presence of holy God, so humans are always separated from the holiness of God. Even when the holiness of God would come to the sanctuary or come to the temple in the holies of holies, only the highest priest could come in, and he could only come in once a year, and all these different rituals had to happen. There was a separation between God's presence and God's people. So when Peter says, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, he's saying something spectacular has happened in redemptive history. Something amazing that was promised has now happened to us. See, God's people were separated from his presence. The priests were a limited tribe who could come before God and do this role. But now we see that Peter is saying that in Jesus Christ, the promise that one day people would be in God's presence... And people would be priests of God has come to pass through Jesus Christ in you and in me. That's amazing. That's an incredible promise that has been fulfilled within God's people. So two spiritual realities. And again, I just would encourage you to go home and think and pray about these things. First, what Peter is saying is that we are now the temple of God. We are now the temple of God, marked by His presence. We are the temple of God, marked by His presence. Before you had to go to the temple to experience God's presence, but now God's presence lives within His people. That is incredible news, that God's Spirit lives within us. So a watching world is supposed to see us and see God through us. But Then there's a second spiritual reality which is this, we are the priest of God and we are marked by holiness and sacrificial worship. So not only are we the temple of God, but we're called to be the priest of God. What does that mean? That we are people who live lives of holiness and who bring sacrifices of praise and worship to the one who is ultimately worthy. There's more passages I've put in your notes. You can go grab those online if you want to do more study here but he's saying that the separation between us and God has been broken down because of Jesus Christ. The holy God lives in us. And the role that was only given to the priest to go to the people on behalf of God has now been given to us, not to uh, mediate between God and man, but we go to people declaring the good news of our mediator, Jesus Christ, of the one who is made away now we are both the temple and the priest of God in this new covenant bringing and living sacrifices to God. Romans 12:1 says this, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. We get to do that. So now when lost people come into your life and my life they don't have to go to a temple to experience God's presence. Guess what? God's presence is in you. People don't have to go to a priest to be absolved of their sins. God's priesthood happens through you. Not because of what you've done, but look at what the passage says in verse 5. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. So it's not anything we do that's acceptable by God, but it's because of what Christ has done that our worship, our giving, our sacrifice, our praying, our fasting, our sharing the good news, that those things bring honor to God because of Jesus Christ. So we see living stones, they are rejected by men, but in God's sight they are chosen and precious. Living stones are being built up and built together. Living stones are both the temple and priests in the new covenant. Last big idea this morning is this. Living stones rest on Jesus, the cornerstone. Living stones rest on Jesus, the cornerstone. Would you look with me? Peter's now going to quote three different places, two from Isaiah, one from the book of Psalms, talking about the promise of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, and he's quoting from Isaiah 28, 16, Behold... I'm laying in Zion a a stone. Look at this. Behold, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. That's the language we saw in verse 4. And I love this. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen. Anyone, everyone who trusts in the name of the cornerstone will not be put to shame. Jesus is our hope. He is the cornerstone that all of us as living stones, all of us are building blocks, are centered on the cornerstone, the one that holds all the weight. Jesus is the promised cornerstone. He is the one on which the church is built. He is the one we are called to build our lives on. This was promised and it's fulfilled in our hearing. Verse 7. So the honors for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, quoting from Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Then he quotes from Isaiah 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. What is Peter saying? Here's what Peter is saying to you and to me this morning. This is so important. Please hear this if you hear anything else. Jesus will either be your foundation or your obstacle. He will either be your foundation, the cornerstone that you build your life on, that you build your family on, that you build your career on, that you build your hope on, or He will be the obstacle to all those things. He will be the barrier. He will be the thing that frustrates you. Why? Because we were created for Him and we either build our lives on him, or we stand in opposition to him. Just as Jesus is the promised fulfillment of God's purpose, the rejection of Jesus is also a promise that's being fulfilled. He talks about it being destined. What's he mean there? Is he saying that those who reject Jesus, is that human responsibility, or is that God's sovereignty? And the answer is yes. So I plead with you, I implore you this morning, is Jesus the cornerstone that you're building your life on? Is he your foundation or is he your obstacle? Are you willing to face the rejection of men to follow God? Are you willing to embrace what God wants to do to build you up through one another and to build others up through you? Are you willing to walk in God's ways? Or are you going to resist God's plan for your maturity and the maturity of others? Is your life marked by God's presence, worship, sacrifice, witness? Or is it marked by the pursuit of more? More of what this world has to offer, more of what people think of us. Is Jesus your foundation, or is Jesus your obstacle? Our response this morning is the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's table. It's an opportunity to remind us how Jesus becomes our cornerstone. By a sacrificial death in our place, his blood was shed for us. His body was crucified for us. So I just want to give you a moment before we come to the table, and I just want to give you a chance to just, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, an opportunity to just prepare your heart to examine your heart. For some of you this morning as you pray, you might just have to wrestle through, Lord, am I willing to face rejection for you? Am I willing to share truth, to lead others to walk in truth, no matter what the cost is? Or is the fear of man outweighing the fear of God in my life? For some of you, maybe the issue is you've forgotten your purpose to be the temple of God, the priest of God, a, a holy vessel of the Holy Spirit living in you, but also a witness of the realities of Christ. God, forgive us. God, help us for some of you this morning you're a believer but you've begun treasuring something more than Jesus and there's a war in your heart between your idols and Christ is Jesus your foundation or your obstacle this morning for some of you maybe you don't know Jesus as savior and Jesus has been your rock of stumbling. I encourage you to just trust in Jesus. Turn to him. So wherever you are, whatever is going on in your heart, let the Holy Spirit open your eyes. Would you respond this morning as you prepare to take the Lord's Supper?